Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Chad Brugman continues the series, Redefining Ordinary, with a message titled, Holy Spirit Has Your Best Interest in Mind. It is so good to be uh, back with you guys again. Were any of you here the last time that I had the privilege of preaching with you guys? Awesome. That makes me feel good and at home. Uh, I travel and preach all over the place. That's kind of what I do right now. And so it's a privilege when you get asked to go preach somewhere. It's special when they ask you to come back. And I got asked to come back. And I'm not mad about it because, yeah, last time I was here... You guys had such a generous spirit towards me and such a kindness towards me, and you were so incredibly welcoming and gracious to me. And so when I got asked, I was like, absolutely, come back. Um, And I lived here for seven and a half years in the 815, and so this place is like a vortex of glory. Every time I try and get away from it, I just keep coming back, and I'm not even mad about it anymore. I just love when I get some time back in the 815. And so for those of you who weren't here, my name's Chad. We're going to do this. I'm, I'm not being dramatic for the sake of being dramatic. I'm about today, and here's why. I don't think there is a more underdeveloped muscle in the body of Christ than the muscle that comes with the teaching of the Holy Spirit. I really don't. I don't think there's more misunderstanding and more maligning of any particular theological issue that we have in our Christian story that we are currently a part of than the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And so when Park said, hey, we're going to do a four-week teaching on the Holy Spirit and you got week two, I like was like a kid in a candy shop. I get excited because I have a righteous anger for, for, for uh, uh, what the enemy has tried to do in the body of Christ to misunderstand and malign the person and the work of the Holy Spirit because I said this right up top last time I was here, and if I ever come back, I'll say it again. It's this. One thing I've learned about us as church people when we gather is when there is a church that has reverence for the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit, it is a game changer for the lifeblood of that church. And I want that desperately for every church I go to. But this is so special to me because Eric, Pastor Eric's one of my closest friends on planet Earth. So when he took this church, this became my church, right? And now he's a fool, absolute fool for running 26.2 miles consecutively without stopping. I don't know. Can't we just raise money for clean water without having to run that far, right? Like, that's just dumb. But he's out doing it, and I'm proud of him. I hope he makes it through, but he's still a fool for doing it, okay? And I stand by it. I would say it if he was here. I've called him that many times. So I'm going to do this, okay? I I got a lot to cover in a short amount of time. I'm going to pray, but when we pray, we're not just doing this as a religious activity. You understand that? When I pray before the message, I am with every bit of faith I have and with every bit of faith you have, I'm asking that we would connect our faith together in prayer, that God in these next few minutes would do something so much bigger than my words. I can't preach good enough to to, to deliver to you what you need today. I can't talk good enough uh, to talk you into some kind of transformation that we all need and we all deserve. That is the the role of the Holy Spirit working in us. Does he use words and preaching and teaching? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it's his presence that changes lives. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk out of these doors unless I'm better than when I walked in. And I just believe, I just have enough childlike faith to believe that as we start to stir our faith up in the word of God and in worship, we can literally, I'm not saying this to be melodramatic or because I'm the preacher guy, we can literally walk out of these doors better than we walked in. But there is something about taking a minute to revere, honor, and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to do what he does, which is lead. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, 
We ask that your Holy Spirit would be so evident and palpable and tangible in this room right now. God, you know I'm going to talk my best, but I, I can't talk good enough to bring life to people. That's, that's you through the power of your spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we just say, come, we honor you. We thank you for the role and the person you are. Help us in these four weeks, God, to understand your Holy Spirit more and more and more and to be so in tune and in step with what he's up to in our lives. So bless this time. Bless the reading of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. So I am going to start right up top, and I'm just going to give you the thesis for this whole morning. Can I do that just right up top? Just tell you the whole, the, if, in other words, when I say thesis, if there's one thing I want you to walk out of here remembering this whole week until we meet again next week, it's what I'm about to tell you next. So here's the thesis for this whole morning. It is simply this. No one, and I mean no one, has your best interest in mind more than the Holy Spirit does. And I'm just going to say that again because that's, that's what I want us to percolate on today. No one, and again, I mean absolutely no one has your best interest in mind more than the Holy Spirit. I have a wife now. Last week we turned 18 years old as a couple. And my wife, thank you so much. My, nobody on planet Earth, I believe, has my best interest in mind more than my wife. I have an amazing wife. I just married an incredible woman who is so gracious and so kind to me. I would not want to live my life without her as my wife. I'm grateful. But listen, even in her beauty, there is still brokenness she brings to our relationship, which means this, no matter how hard she tries, she can't have my best interest in mind all the time. Let me flip that around. I bring some beauty, uh, I think she would say, into our relationship. But you know what else? I bring a lot of brokenness. I bring a lot of bias. I bring a lot of, come on, gentlemen, we know what this is. I bring a lot of selfishness into our marriage. And I'm trying to be the best husband for her that I can. But at the end of the day, I cannot compare to, to the Holy Spirit when it comes to having her absolute best interest in mind. I don't care how amazing parents you had. I hope you did. I know I did. They don't compare to having my best interest in mind compared to the Holy Spirit. Your bestie, your best friend doesn't. Your kids don't. Your parents don't. Your coworkers don't. As, as amazing as some of them may be, nobody for a city church has your best interest in mind more than the Holy Spirit. Your wholeness, your health, your well-being, right? Your freedom, your liberty is the passion of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to see that today. Here's the rub though, okay? Let's talk about this for a minute. It has to be said. Here, here's the problem though when I, when I make big statements like that is most of us walked into this room, not all of you, but most of us walk into this room. And if you're like me, you got a little bit of Holy Spirit baggage, right? Like, let's, like let, let me just tell you, tell you my story. I grew up Pentecostal. Pray for me, all right? There's some, there's some uh, I, not Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, right? We're Pentecostals. Not, imagine being a kid and you keep hearing the pastor talking about Holy Ghost, right? And you're a kid and you got some issues with ghosts and now you're saying one of the most important people, no one has your best interest in mind more than the Holy Ghost. And you're like, as a kid, you're like, what? And I grew up as a kid and most of my friends were Baptist, right? And they believe in the Holy Spirit, of course. Good Baptists, they believe in the Holy Spirit just way differently than us crazy Pentecostals. And we had a rule in my house and my friend's house is that if you spent the night with one of your friends, like say in high school, uh, on a Saturday night, you go with their family to church. 
So there were many Saturday nights where I would spend the night with my Baptist, one of my Baptist boys, and I would have to go to the Baptist church down the road with them. And I grew up Pentecostal, and I just remember every time I got done at the Baptist service, the only thing I said to my friend was, man, your church is boring. That's it. So boring. But then the, 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 the script would get flipped, right? And they would spend the night with me sometimes. And one of my Baptist boys would go with me to church. And he never once ever any of them left and said, man, your church is boring. I never heard that once. But you know what I heard every time? Man, you guys are crazy. You're in a cult. I'm sure of it. What is wrong with you guys, right? And, and it seemed funny at the time, but what I realized as I kept getting older is that created in me a little bit of low-grade shame because it was like Murphy's Law. The time I brought my Baptist boys to church was when my church was going to get crazy. I don't know what was in the air, but the tongues were going to start speaking out loud. The interpretations, which made no sense, were going to come. There was going to be, there was a lady in the back who would get fired up during worship and she'd blow a whistle, like a referee's whistle. Like just the worst noise possible to be ushered into the presence of God, right? Like the Holy Spirit wanted to leave. If I was the dove, I would have flown out of there too. Like stop blowing the whistle. And my friends, they never said it was boring because we weren't boring, right? But we were crazy. And you know what was attached to that crazy? You know what we were doing it in the name of? The Holy Spirit. And so slowly I started to create these misunderstandings of what the Holy Spirit really was. And I started to even a little bit malign the Holy Spirit. Some of you, for different reasons or the same reasons, you may understand that I started keeping the Holy Spirit at bay. Sure, I could lean into Jesus. We got 30 some years with him on earth, showing us how he lived, showing us how uh, human and yet God that he was. I can, I can get in God. He's kind of mysterious and mystical and everyone on earth, even if they're not Christians, believes in some God. And so there's some kind of like unifying understanding of a higher being. Right. But then you start talking about the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden I've got some baggage attached to it. And I hate that for me and I hate that for you. It took me a lot of years to break through that baggage and to re-understand and reevaluate and, and learn for myself in the scriptures who actually the Holy Spirit is. And in my 40 young, 47 young years of living, I'm saying young by faith, here's the one thing I have come to understand and I say it with the deepest amount of conviction that I possess for a city church. Nobody, and I mean nobody has your best interest in mind more than the Holy Spirit. Understand that? Nobody does. Nobody. So there's an ancient African proverb, and I love this because we're going to go somewhere with this today, and it simply says this. Put that up on the screen. It says, if there is no enemy within, the enemy outside can do no harm. There's no enemy within you, then the enemy outside, as strong as they may try and prevail over you, can do nothing ultimately to you. Now, that's good news if the Holy Spirit, like Jesus said, really lives in us. Now, can I tell you the Holy Spirit does not, upon salvation, just dwell in you? But can I tell you the force and the nature with which the person of the Holy Spirit dwells within you? The Apostle Paul says this. Keep in mind, when there's no enemy within, the enemy outside can do no harm. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul says about what's inside of you. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 11, where he says this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. 
that blows my mind. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you because we're in church. I absolutely get fired up when I hear a verse like that because what that says to me is the possibilities are endless for me in this life, not someday when I get to heaven, but on this side of eternity. It's kind of like Paul is egging us on. It's kind of like he's trying to very respectfully and kindly tell us, guys, there is so much more power on the inside of you to live on this side of eternity, not perfect, but full. Jesus said, I have come and through the work of the cross and the burial and the resurrection, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. And the apostle Paul is saying, listen, there is a a spirit of God who is now dwelling on the inside of you. There is a power and a potential on the inside of you that is beyond what you are currently giving yourself credit for. And not only that, but now let's talk about the character of the Holy Spirit, because if I have that kind of potential, And if I have that kind of force living on the inside of me, I want to know what they're about, right? Well, Jesus, in just a couple chapters, lists out the characteristics of the Spirit of God that lives in you. He first, and Eric talked about this beautifully last week, he's first called the helper. I don't know about you, you you may not need me, but but I'm jacked up. (laughs) I am a hot mess of beauty and brokenness. I love Jesus. I have no condemnation because I am in Jesus. My justification is completely and solely resting on the sin-stained blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary 2,000 years ago. I don't know about you, but I start at finish. The work is finished. But can I tell you practically, I am still a hot walking mess of hypocrisy and duplicity. I wish I wasn't. I'm just trying to be real in church today. I'm glad you all are so much more spiritual than I am. But I'm going to be honest for a minute and it kind of feels good. But in the midst of my hypocrisy, in the midst of my duplicity that I still have to confront, I will refuse to settle for that on this side of eternity. I am on a mission. The older I get, the more and more this is important to me. The more and more this is becoming my definition of success, the older I get. I am on a mission to be whole. I am on a mission to be healthy internally as a human being. The external successes, I've been there. I've done that. I've worked for it. I've hustled for it. I've tasted some of it. None of that is altogether wrong or bad. But as I'm getting older, and some of you who are older than me, would you please help a brother out and amen me, please? Because I think you probably have lived long enough to know that this is the secret here to life, is that the kingdom of God is an inside-out proposition. Who cares? Who cares about what's going on out here if you don't have the Spirit of God completely alive and thriving in here? I want to be whole. I want to be healthy. And I have found out that it is the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that now lives in me. But that's intimidating, right? Because you go, well, if that's true and I've given my life to Christ, why is the addiction still there? Why did my marriage fail? Why am I in the negative in the bank account again this month? Why is a single parent journey just feel so relentlessly fatiguing? As much as I love my kids, I come in to church week after week exhausted. And I could just go down the list of all the places where, see, that's the problem with Romans 11 is you get excited about it like I am today. But then you also in the back of your mind go, yeah, but where is that for me? And, and, and I'm just going to suggest to you today, you're adults, so do this what you want. But I'm going to suggest that, that one of the biggest issues with that verse being far from oftentimes matching our reality is a misunderstanding of the person of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why we don't miss a week in this series, please. That's why what we are doing in this month is so fundamental to this church and to the beauty of your faith. When you start to really understand the power of the Holy Spirit and what he has in mind for you and has his best interest in you, uh, for you. So I'm going to do this. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to spend the rest of my minutes just walking us through some scriptures in Galatians chapter 5 because we get such an incredible statement and teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're familiar with Galatians 5, some of you are, some of you are newer to church, don't worry, we're going we're gonna to talk through this. But this is the classic passage where we get the list that Paul gives, the writer of this book, he gives called the fruit of the Spirit. You guys familiar with that, right? You've heard a lot of talk if you've been in church for more than two minutes about the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, let's just, let's just get that verse out of the way. Let's read, let's put it up there. It says this, the fruit. Now, if you're new to church, fruit just means proof, Right? Fruit something that grows from a seed. So when the seed of the Holy Spirit is given to you upon salvation, here's what should grow. Here's the fruit, the proof that the Spirit is alive and well in you. And it's this, love, an internal reality, joy, an internal reality, patience, an internal posture and reality, right? Peace, who doesn't want peace? Let's just talk about peace for a minute. I think the two richest guys on earth right now currently are uh, Elon, good for him, and uh, Jeff. And while they're busy building rockets to go to Mars, here's what I know about these two men. If they could honestly purchase peace, they would spend gross amounts of money, as would I believe you and as would I, to have true peace. That building rockets and going to Mars can't give you. And I'm not knocking that. Good for them. Explore. Have fun. Be creative. Be dynamic. Do all that. Again, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm simply saying this. Peace is what we lost in the Garden of Eden. And it is the single, I believe, most precious commodity we have been given. And the fruit of the Spirit alive and well on the inside of you is peace. And listen, the Bible tells us that peace is always in spite of something. Peace doesn't come because you finally formulated your life into to a bunch of areas that are completely working out good. No, peace passes understanding, right? Peace is something you have in spite of what's going on in life. And that right there, I promise you, is wealth that billions and even trillions of dollars could not pay for. Peace. What's the thing Jesus said when he said he was leaving to the disciples? My peace, gentlemen, I give you my peace. And he was speaking that blessing to all of us. My peace, I leave you. Do you know how he was going to leave us that peace? Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, our helper. The gift of the Holy Spirit, our counselor. The gift of the Holy Spirit, who's our chief encourager. The gift of the Holy Spirit, who's our chief convictor. Do you know the conviction of the Holy Spirit is as important as the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Do you know the conviction of the Holy Spirit is as important as the Holy Spirit, the helper? Why? When he's convicting you, it's because your life is heading in a direction that is going to rob you of peace. The most precious commodity on planet earth. The fruit of the Spirit living in you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, wants to give you ever-increasing greater amounts of peace. It goes on to say this. I love this one. We could have a whole revival on planet Earth if we just all committed to this one. Kindness. Wouldn't it be sweet to live in a, a much kinder world right now? 
Do you understand how much healing would happen instantly if kindness just started to be erupting in the spirit of the body of Christ and we started to set a stage for, for, for what kindness should look like? And yet I don't always see that in the body of Christ. He goes on to say, patience. I just flew into O'Hare at 10 o'clock last night. You want to talk about testing my patience? That place is crazy. I don't know what's happening in O'Hare. I got to go back there in a few hours and I'm scared. <laughs> place is crazy. People are angry, right? So I'm going to need the spirit of patience so I can be different than all the people in line that are angry when our flight's delayed. What if I was actually kind to the workers when my flight's delayed? Because of what? The patience of the Holy Spirit. You know what that would do? One act of that after another, when it's alive and well on the inside of you, it starts to change the culture. One act of the fruit of the Spirit at the time. Kindness, goodness. Just good old-fashioned goodness. I love this next one. I want to go to my grave with my kids saying, for all my dad wasn't, the dude was faithful. He was faithful to my mom. He was faithful to us. He was faithful to the gospel. He was faithful to his friend. I want that badly and my only hope because I know my potential for unfaithfulness. I want that through the power of the spirit. I love this next one and I'm going to talk to you for a second, gentlemen. Gentleness. We have such a toxic and warped view of what masculinity is in our culture. And it's catching up to us, gentlemen. And can I tell you, one of the most masculine things you will ever do is be characterized as a man who is gentle. Thank you, Charmon. Thank you. He's with nothing. I'm on a kick. This wasn't in my notes. I didn't mean to spend time riffing on this, but I just can't get away from it. Like there is, there is the essence of strength is in gentleness. Gentlemen, it is not weakness to be gentle. You can still lift weights and kill animals and punch bags and do whatever you do that you may get a big truck, whatever the world tells you you got to do to be a real man. And at the end of the day, I want my kids and my wife to know that, that their husband and their father was a gentleman. Right? My only hope to do that because there's so many, there's so many fleshly forces that are trying to compel me to prove my manhood with more success and with conquering more things and with getting more things, even at the expense of, of throwing other people off the ladder on my way up. That's not a real man. A real man is gentle. And ladies, I'm talking to you as well because the, the spirit of God is not bound by gender. Do you understand that? <laughs> That's small thinking. The spirit of God, this is for the, the essence, the essence of femininity is these things as well. This is a true human walking in their Garden of Eden-like state again, coming back to what God originally intended for us. And then this last one is a difficult one, but the older I get again, the more I'm seeing, no, this is beautiful. Being able to control yourself, God help us, right? There's something so spirit-giving and life-giving when you, by God's spirit, not your own white-knuckled discipline, but when you start to really keep in step and, and invite and understand and, and, and start to ask for and embrace the work of the Holy Spirit, there is an organic self-control that slowly starts to happen in your life. It doesn't usually happen overnight. Every now and then we hear a story where you were doing this horrible thing at one minute and then by God's grace you stopped the next day and you haven't done it since. And I honor those stories. But for most of us in this room... The fruit of the Spirit is something that has to be cultivated. you understand that? It's something that you have to garden. It's something that you have to 
tend to. It's cyclical. It has seasons where it's just a seed, where it's underground, where it's unseen, where you don't see the fruit of what you really want and are trying for in your life. But you got to believe when you are committed to the Holy Spirit in you, living this way through you, there's just time where eventually that seed's going to sprout through and you're going to start to see the freedom and the beauty and the benefits that come from the fruit of the Spirit. And so my next question is, we're reading what it looks like to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. What's the goal? What's God's motive in that being who we were originally intended to be? And to fully understand that, we have to read the fruit of the Spirit passage. We have to read it in context. That was verse, what, 20-something? Uh, 20, I think we started in 22 or something. Yeah, verse 22. We're going to go back to chapter 5, verse 1. Because context is everything when you're reading the scripture. And the context that Paul eventually in 22 verses later starts to teach on the fruit of the spirit living in us. He tells us the purpose of that in verse 1. And here's what it says. I absolutely love this verse. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this. It is for what? Say that. Will you do me a favor and say it one more time please? It's for freedom. There's the motive right there. That Christ set you free. Paul says, stand firm, there, there, stand firm then therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is the Spirit's passion, is to make you free. How do I know that? Because it's Christ's passion. And we know that the ultimate role of the Spirit in our lives is to continually and relentlessly point us towards Jesus Christ. The Spirit gets no more joy The Holy Spirit gets no more joy than when he is pointing people to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And what's Jesus's motive for the cross? What's Jesus's motive for the resurrection? One word, freedom. We lost something in the Garden of Eden when our first father and first mother took a bite out of that apple. And we know generation after generation, the Bible tells us that that disease in the bloodline called sin has been transferred and passed down to every single one of us. And Jesus is having none of it, y'all. He's having none of it. If you want to talk about righteous anger, it is towards the sin that has tried to rob us of our freedom. When, when the Bible talks about sin, it's not trying to confront us to make us feel condemned. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's not trying to bring us down or to make us feel like failures or to, to push us farther into the ground than we're already pushing ourselves. When the Bible is confronting sin, do you know what it's doing? It is righteously angry and saying, you are losing freedom in that activity and I want freedom for you. I want freedom for you. That's, that's Christ's passion. And so you know what that tells me? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that's now living in you, that is his passion. He wants you free. And you know what freedom looks like? It looks like more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more goodness, more kindness, more gentleness, more faithfulness. More self-control. All these internal realities is what the Holy Spirit is passionate about. But you know what we get super entangled in and passionate about? External stuff. This is why Jesus said this. And he was talking about all these external things people get so worried about. And he says, but hey, do this. Here's the secret. Seek me first and my kingdom and all those external things, they'll work themselves out over time. Can you, Jesus is like, can you trust that? Can you trust that I'll take care of all those things? Like I know what you need ahead of time. Like, I already know what you need. Can you, can you trust that if I close, right, in Matthew 6, if I, if I close the, the lilies of the field 
and array them in, in, in colors and brightness that not even King Solomon in all of his splendor was. It, can you trust that I'll take care of the external things and can we get busy working on the inside? Because the kingdom of God, listen to me, the kingdom of God is an internal reality first, right? That's why everything Paul lists about the fruit of the spirit at work is internal. But now listen to the forces coming against the spirit in your life. Because notice they're the opposite. They're all external. Let's read it. Paul says this. Galatians 5, we continue to read. He says this. He says in verse 16, But I say to you, Forest City Church, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says this. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you really want to do. He said this, but if you are led by the Spirit, this is good news, you're not under the law. Now the works of the Spirit, or excuse me, the works of the flesh are evident. Now notice, these aren't internal realities. These are external exercises we do. And I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put me on the spot. Every time I'm guilty of one of these, past, present, or future, I'm just going to say guilty. Sexual immorality. Right here, guilty. Impurity, guilty. Sensuality, been guilty. Idolatry, yeah, guilty. Sorcery, eh, read Harry Potter series. I don't know if that counts or not, whatever. Anyways, that, that one's a little different, but uh, whatever. I'm sure, I'm guilty somewhere. Amnity, guilty. Strife, guilty. Jealousy, dear Lord. King Solomon said jealousy rots the bones, and yet here we are. I'm guilty. Fits of anger, guilty. Rivalries, guilty. Go Bears. <laughs> Dissensions, I've been a part of them. I've created them, and I've been on the receiving end of them. Never give me what you want. Divisions, guilty. Envy, guilty. Drunkenness, been there. Orgies, don't have that one on the list, but I could imagine that it would not be good if it did. But that, but, but that was prevalent in this church he was writing to. And, okay, so I'm going to move on from that one. What, what an interesting way for him to end, right? And he says, and things like this. In other words, the list could get longer and longer and longer and longer. Listen, I love sitting in the tension of that list because Paul is just talking about what we already came to church knowing about ourselves and the human race, right? We don't, have to, we don't have to be afraid to talk about anything in church because we are under the grace of God through the justification of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. We should be the least unafraid to talk about the realest things in church because we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. So let's talk about these, these works of the flesh. Paul says, listen, and, I, and I'll just say this. I'm going to add to his words here. Those, most of those things are so enticing, these fleshly activities that don't lead you to more of the spirit, true freedom. These things attack your freedom. But what's so powerful about them, the reason we, we keep finding ourselves falling into these things at times in our life is because on the front end, they're really fun. On the front end, they take no work. See, I have to tend to the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I, I have to spend zero energy to do those things we just listed off right there, the works of the flesh. They take me, my, there's something in my heart that compels me to want to do those things sometimes, right? That's just honest church talk. But the fruit of the Spirit has to be tended. This is why we talk about the Holy Spirit, is because that is where true freedom is. Here, here's what I'm learning the further I get away from a lot of those things I said I'm guilty of. 
The, the further those things uh, get farther off in the distance and the less they control my life, the works of the flesh, the more I keep in step with the spirit. Here's what I'm seeing. Those desires start to dissipate with distance. But it takes time. It's one day after another saying, Holy Spirit, come. And we're going to pray this at the end, but I'm going to say it up top. You don't need to put it up there, but this is something I pray every day. Holy Spirit, help me to hear your whisper today. And then give me the courage to trust and obey it. Because your flesh screams. And culture pays trillions of dollars to help scream to your flesh. That's the world we live in. Culture spends trillions of dollars around the globe to scream to our flesh, to get us bound by things that feel good on the front end and destroy you on the back end. And the spirit, because he's a gentleman, he's gentle. He's, he's, he's unafraid. He knows the end of the story. He knows that God gets what he wants. He knows that all things, however God sees sovereignly fit, will work together for the good in the end. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't have to scream. Doesn't have to yell. He's not nervous. He mad at you. He just wants freedom for you. So the Holy Spirit, so I say, Holy Spirit, please give me the wisdom to hear your whisper today. And then please give me the courage after hearing that whisper to trust and obey you. And one day after another, month after month, year after year, do you know what the Holy Spirit starts to do? He starts to tend and work in that garden. And fruit starts to come out. And instead of this, like, I got to behave like a good Christian, instead of this white knuckled discipline and trying to be a better human being, it starts to happen organically. Why? Because it's the work of the spirit and because you're keeping in step with the spirit. So he lists off all those things. And he says this, those who do such things, this one used to scare me as a kid because all I heard about as a kid was heaven and hell. Pentecostals, that's what we took, right? A lot of hellfire brimstone. He says, those who do those fleshly things, which is weird because I just said guilty of almost all those things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you got to understand upon further reading, when you dig deeper into what Paul's writing here, he's not thinking or talking about heaven and hell when he says the kingdom of God. He's talking about right here today and now. Jesus, when he came into this world, said this, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God was inaugurated, not when Jesus comes back and we have heaven and we have hell and we have all that stuff that you've heard. The kingdom of heaven started the minute Jesus breathed his first breath out of the womb. The kingdom of God was at hand. That's why we pray for heaven to come to earth now, not someday. We're not just waiting for some celestial moment where we go to heaven and and we will hopefully escape the flames of hell. That's small ball. It sounds big, but that's not what Jesus is after. That builds fear, not relationship. Holy Spirit wants relationship right here, right now. Will you taste the fullness of heaven on this side of eternity? No. Spoiler alert. But we should be passionately excited about tending to the garden we've been given on this side of eternity for as long as possible. When Paul said those who get involved in these activities, isn't not, he's not even thinking about are you going to forfeit heaven or are you going to go to hell? Any of that, he's going, you're going to forfeit today and possibly tomorrow. And possibly months and years from now with the residual damage that comes from the acts of the flesh. And I want freedom for you, Forest City. So he's saying this, listen, spend your life devoted to the internal realities of who you are and trust God with the external realities of where you're going. And I know that's so hard. This is why we have the Holy Spirit. 
Because nobody, and I mean nobody, and band, you guys can come up, has your best interest in mind more than the Holy Spirit. And here's what I know. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, I believe, he says this. He says, now the Lord is a spirit. Now here's some really good news. And where the Lord is, the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, so here's the million dollar question and here's kind of where the rub is again is if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Why are we not seeing all the freedom that we hope and dream of and that this pastor keeps passionately talking and spitting? Sorry, front row, for spitting on you, but I'm passionate about this. I'm a kid in a candy shop right now because when we start to really understand the power and the beauty of the Holy Spirit, we start to revere him. We start to invite the Holy Spirit in. We don't keep him at an arm's length. We don't let the baggage of old get the best of us. And listen to me, here's my ultimate thing for you. I have fought for you guys in prayer and pleaded for this moment with God that his Holy Spirit would do something so bigger than my words. And I don't know how he does that. And it's really weird to be up here and to put your faith on the line in front of a bunch of people and make these grand statements and then just see what God does. It's it's kind of vulnerable, to be honest. When I walk off stage, I feel very vulnerable because the, the heavy lifting is now in the hands of the Father. I'm just one of his little kids giving statements of faith, but I know God loves that. I feel the pleasure of God right now because I'm just a little kid in his kingdom inviting other little kids. And if you're 60, 70, 80 years old in here, first of all, I respect you as my elder deeply, but you're still a kid in the kingdom of God. You understand that? If you're 85 in here, in God's economy, you are a child and will forever be a child. And he says, if you really want to enter the kingdom of God, you got to have faith like a child. And so can I finish by really building our faith about the Holy Spirit? And I'm not going to give you my thought. Who cares about my thought? My thoughts are broken and biased and incomplete. I'm just going to give you a thought straight from the mouth of Jesus. So we know that the authority on this teaching is from Jesus and not Chad. Can I do that real quick? And I'm going to read this slow. I want us to marinate on this because this is the heart of God concerning the Holy Spirit who is passionate about your freedom. Read this from the mouth of Christ. He says this, what father among you, if his son asked for a fish, would instead of a fish Give him a serpent. That's pretty silly, right? The juxtaposition between a fish and a serpent. As a father, even in all your brokenness and my brokenness, come on, dads, we, we, we get great joy from giving our kids good things when we can, right? It's just a beautiful feeling. Why? It, it, we get that characteristic from God, right? He says, that's crazy. Everyone who heard that that day would have said, that's crazy. If a kid asked for, for fish, you'd give him a serpent. And then he, he takes it a step further because he really wants to drive the point home. He says, or if he asked for an egg... Would a father give him a scorpion? Of course not. Ludicrous, right? But then listen to what he's getting at. He says, if you then, who are evil, another sermon for another day, if you're, if you're dads that are imperfect and broken, and you still have this desire. I watch, don't, I don't anymore because I'm saved, but I used to watch The Sopranos back in the day when I was older, and as evil as Tony Soprano could be, there were these episodes where you just saw this, this tension because in the midst of all of his evil deeds, he had this huge father's heart, right? Like Jesus God, even if you are evil and know how to still give gifts, you still have that godly instinct to give good gifts to your children. Ready? How much more? I'm going to stop there and we're going to think about that for a minute. 
This is Jesus saying this, not me. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Work real hard, try real hard, exercise real hard, try and put the bottle down real hard, eat better real hard. No, 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 no. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus' half-brother James said this, We have not because we ask not. And then he says this, when we do ask, a lot of times we don't receive prayer because we ask with wrong motives. Jesus has cleared the motive thing up for us here. He just said, listen, this is one thing you can ask God for with authority and with some degree of certainty. Because what's the motive? I want more of the Holy Spirit. Why? I want to be free. I'm tired of my flesh winning. I want my spirit to win. I'm tired of being consumed by these external activities that are a lot of times cool on the front end and destroying me on the back end. I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of not being okay with the person in the mirror. I'm tired of of all of the, 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 the war going on outside getting the best of me because the warrior within me isn't intact. But the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. And God is so desperately committed to the work of the Holy Spirit that he sent his son Jesus to say, listen, a good father isn't going to say no to a, a great request like that. How much more will he give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? So if everyone would stand, we're going to have a moment with God before we walk out of these doors. We're going to have a call to freedom. And I don't know where you need freedom. I just know where I need freedom. I know where me and my family need freedom. But we're all adults here. I don't need to know. You can fill in those blanks yourself. But here's what I know because I'm human like you. All throughout this room, We're a group of people that in certain areas are still in bondage to certain things. Maybe something stood out on that list to you. Maybe it's something not on that list that you just know for years I have been in bondage to this. And because of that bondage, I have been walking in shame. And if there's anything that will fatigue the human soul faster than anything, it's walking in shame. And the Holy Spirit wants to free us from that. He wants to do miracles from that. And so we're just going to do what the Bible says, do what Jesus says. We're going to, before we leave here, we're going to ask, number one, and then we're going to sing our way through it. We're just going to say, whatever area in life I need freedom, I am just as a child coming before my dad going to ask that you, Holy Spirit, would baptize me new, baptize me fresh. I don't know the theology behind the word the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to preach and teach that. But I can tell you this. I ask to be baptized again in the Holy Spirit almost every day. May not be necessary. May not be theologically correct. But if there's something out there, I want it. If there's a promise from God, I'm going to ask like a little kid would. And I'm going to be open. And then I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, with every ounce of reverence and receptivity that I have, would you please come and bring freedom into this area of my life? And you just watch. I believe miracles are going to happen this week because we asked. I believe chains are literally going to fall and break this week. Call me the crazy pastor. I believe it with every ounce of conviction I have. Some chains are going to finally break this week in your life because we simply asked because we were reminded about the work of the person of the Holy Spirit. 
who is passionate about your freedom. So if you're in here right now, don't be afraid. Don't care about the people around you. You say, there is an area in my life right now. I want the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And by faith, I am putting up my hand unapologetically and asking through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name that I would find freedom this week from that thing. Keep it up. Be unafraid. My hand, I would put both hands up if I wasn't holding a mic. Put them up. Keep them up. Now, we're not going to pray on our way out of here. You guys got like about three more minutes. We're not going to pray on our way out the door. We're going to sing our benediction. We're going to sing because the Bible says the tongue has power of life and death. And when we start to sing, it's like words on steroids. That's the beauty of worship. It's words on steroids. We're going to connect our heart to this and be open. And you watch God do a miracle. And so Jesus, with all of these hands lifted right now, we ask Holy Spirit, come, bring that freedom. Bring that fruit that only you can bring. And Holy Spirit, to to, to, to the glory be yours. Jesus, to the glory be yours. God, to the glory be yours. Let's sing and let's worship for a city. You've been listening to Chad Brugman with the message, Holy Spirit Has Your Best Interest in Mind, from the Redefining Ordinary series at Forest City Church. Thanks for listening.